You are listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the Rand Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from Rand's latest research and commentary. It's December 6th. After six months of escalating police violence and protester resistance, the situation in Hong Kong has come to a head in the past two weeks. What steps could the Trump administration take to prevent the resurgence of violence? According to Rand's Scott Harold, there are at least four policy approaches on the table. First, he says, continue to engage with the people of Hong Kong. More specifically, the U.S. Consulate General, the top American official in Hong Kong, can continue to engage widely with all levels of society. This would help ensure that Hong Kongers know firsthand that the U.S. is concerned for their well-being. Second, Washington could signal to Beijing that it cares about the Hong Kong issue on its own terms, independent of the ongoing trade war between the U.S. and China. Third, the U.S. could clearly convey that there will be severe consequences if Beijing uses violence to crush the protests. Fourth, and finally, the U.S. should consider working to build a common position with American allies and partners, including Australia, Canada, the EU, Japan, Taiwan, and the UK. Collectively, they could signal to Beijing that the costs of repression in Hong Kong would be unacceptably high. Now is the time for Washington to keep faith with its friends, its values, and its interests, says Harold, and to ensure that all sides know that the U.S. stands with people who are struggling for freedom, democracy, dignity, and the rule of law. Since the mid-2000s, a new Russian approach to the Middle East has emerged. Moscow is seemingly everywhere in the region, engaging in economic deals, deepening partnerships, and balancing relationships with rivals. Russia's Middle East strategy is focused on short-term, transactional relationships, and it appears to be reaping dividends. But according to a new paper by Rand's Becca Wasser, this strategy isn't without risks. In fact, the very strengths of Russia's approach in the near term may be its undoing over time, she says. Quote, Rather than act as a kingmaker in the Middle East, Moscow is instead choosing policies that will ensure it is relegated to play temporary partner or spoiler in the long run. Wasser concludes that although Russia can frustrate and undermine U.S. policy in the Middle East, it cannot create openings or replace the U.S. as the predominant power in the region. Russia's limits in the Middle East cannot be understated, she says. They are important for U.S. policy planners to remember when crafting strategies to counter Moscow's influence. In 2017, the Chicago Police Department began using real-time crime centers at the district level. The centers support police decision-making by using technology that provides valuable information, such as feeds from surveillance cameras throughout the city or data from gunshot sensors. According to a new RAND report, these centers can help reduce crime. After the centers were opened in Chicago, estimated crime reductions varied between 3% and 17% for the 10 categories of crime our researchers studied, including shootings and sexual assault. How did the centers make a difference? Lead author John Hollywood explains that, before the centers, police commanders made decisions largely on an ad hoc basis, based on whatever they were hearing about. But once the centers were in place, command decisions could be much more structured and data-driven, he says. 
While this study shows a lot of promise for this approach, Hollywood and colleagues found that the major challenge will be ensuring the center's long-term sustainability. Last month, tech executive David Henmeyer Hansen posted what became a viral Twitter thread about a recent experience his family had with Apple Card, a credit card created by Apple in partnership with Goldman Sachs. Here's the story. Jamie, David's wife, asked to increase the line of credit on her Apple Card. Her request was denied. At the same time, her husband, David, with whom Jamie shares all assets, had a credit line 20 times higher. Apple's reply? It's the algorithm. Rand's Oshonde Oshaba says that the Hansons essentially conducted a mini-audit of the Apple Card algorithm, revealing its gender bias. In fact, they highlighted what Oshaba deems a toxic combination— The companies relied on a black box algorithm with no capability to produce an explanation and then abdicated all responsibility for the outcomes. It's not always possible to pinpoint how a complex algorithm led to a bad outcome, he says, but there are ways for companies to address an algorithm's potential sexist, racist, biased behaviors. In this example, the company should not have assumed that ignoring gender or marital status automatically made the credit algorithm fair. Something called disaggregated evaluation, which tests an algorithm on sub-demographics and accounts for any differences in outcomes, may have caught the bias. Another thing could have helped, too. If Apple and Goldman Sachs had provided the customer with some insight into the decision. Government regulations are another potential solution, he says. They could be used to help keep companies that hold data or deploy algorithms accountable to their users. Issues like what the Hansons experienced may become more common as artificial intelligence is used in more kinds of decision-making. And the problems extend far beyond credit cards, Ashaba says. Quote, This is also about unsafe airplanes, dangerous power grids, and a legion of increasingly complex technologies that affect daily life. Protesters in Iran were recently met with a deadly government crackdown and a countrywide internet blackout that lasted five days. These Iranians deserve America's support, says Rand's Dalia Dasake, and there are concrete steps that Washington could take to help them. For starters, the Trump administration could lift the economic sanctions that were reinstated after the U.S. withdrew from the Iranian nuclear deal. These sanctions were intended to force Tehran back to the negotiating table for a better deal. But that hasn't happened. In fact, Kay says, the sanctions have hurt the Iranian people more than the Iranian leadership. The administration could also lift the travel ban on Iranians who wish to come to the U.S., Kay says that the ban has been one of the most destructive policies harming average Iranians, many of whom have been unable to see family members or seek medical care in the U.S. because of the restrictions. It has also limited the ability of Iranian students to seek an education in the U.S., exactly the type of next-generation Iranians who could help foster a more positive U.S.-Iranian relationship in the future. Kay says there may also be an added benefit to pursuing policies aimed at creating a better future for the people of Iran. It could lead to less dangerous policies from Tehran. In 2008, RAND researchers began surveying a group of hundreds of 6th and 7th graders in California. They asked these adolescents about their marijuana use. 
Our researchers continued to survey this group through 2017, when the respondents were ages 18 to 20, still tracking their marijuana use and asking whether or not they acquired a medical marijuana card. Here's what they found: young adults who seek medical marijuana cards are often those who already use the drug heavily, rather than those with health issues that marijuana could address. As more states consider legalizing marijuana for medical use, this evidence may be useful to policymakers. It could help inform the design of programs that issue cards only to people with health problems for which medical marijuana is a proven treatment. Rand is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org/podcast. We'll see you next week.